Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you today. Um, last week, as we were traveling back from, from Birmingham, we listened to the service online. And I want you to know, Bill made fun of me. If you, any of you in the second hour last week? Anybody come to the second hour? So a couple of y'all came to the second hour. He said that it was going to take me an hour and a half to get from Birmingham back to Allen. I want you to know it took a few more hours than an hour and a half. Um, If if you go by him, I was speeding, but it didn't take me an hour and a half. So um, I'll repent later. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 18. This morning we're continuing our Genesis study, Patriarchs and Promises. We have been looking at our first patriarch of the faith for a number of weeks now, Abraham. And as we look at Abraham, we see a man chosen by God, a man who was justified by God, a man um, who has been given to us and is an example of what a life of faith should look like. Now we know that Abraham was not perfect. He was far from perfect. What we see with Abraham as we read through the pages of the Old Testament, through the book of Genesis, as well as through the rest of the book, we see a man that that made many mistakes. We can learn from those mistakes, but we also can learn from the things that he did right. Last week, Bill began walking us through Genesis 18. We looked at the covenant meal that Abraham and the Lord shared. We looked at how the Lord confirmed to Abraham and Sarah that within a year, the child of promise would come. And we concluded by looking at the Lord setting his eyes toward Sodom. And here's what I want us to see this morning. Our main point this morning is that God is righteous and God is is just. There's nothing that happens that God is not aware of, and there is nothing that happens that God does not allow to happen. You believe that? Know that, right? Notice our first point this morning. Let's look at God's plan for Abraham. We're going to, Bill concluded last week with these verses and just kind of um, hit, hit at them a little bit. We're going to look a little bit more at them this morning before we get into our, our main focal passage this morning. But let's look at verses 16 through 19. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So God called Abraham whenever he was 75 years old and told him that he was going to make him into a mighty nation. Now, fast forward about 25 years, Abraham is about 100, Sarah is about 90. They've been given the promise that within a year, the child of promise is going to come. But, but So let's look at kind of um, what happens after this covenant meal that, that the Lord and Abraham shared together. We see here the setting. The Lord and Abraham have just finished their covenant meal. After that meal, the Lord prepares to depart. I love how Abraham does not let the Lord see himself to the door. He goes with him. When you have a guest at your house, don't you usually walk them to the door and sometimes walk them out the door, maybe even to their car? That's kind of what we're seeing here. Abraham goes with the Lord. 
The Lord could have chosen any direction to go, but the Lord, he sets his eyes upon the city of Sodom. And, and Abraham, and, and so we see here that Abraham goes with him. Abraham has just dined with the Lord, and now we see him walking with the Lord. And any time I see in Scripture an individual walking with the Lord, I think to, to one of my heroes in Scripture, Enoch. You know, in, in, in Genesis 8, or in Genesis 5, 24, we looked at this several weeks ago, but we see in this passage that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him away. I don't know if there's ever been a greater statement ever said about an individual than that statement right there, that he walked with God, and God took him away. God honors those who live faithfully and those who walk faithfully. Here we find Abraham walking with the Lord, talking with the Lord, and fellowshipping with the Lord. As we, as we look at Abraham and, and as we've studied Abraham over these number of weeks, we see that Abraham and the Lord had a very special relationship. James describes it this way, and Bill reminded us of us this last week, but in James 2.23, we read, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You know what friends do? Friends walk together, talk together, and friends also share together. Do you have any friends like that? Do you have a friend that you can call any time of the day or night and just get on the phone with them and and maybe you need to um, ask for prayer? Maybe you need to just vent for a little bit and there's that that ear that you're able to vent. We all need friends like that in our life. Let me ask you this. Are you that kind of a friend to anybody? The kind of friend that someone can just call up anytime, day or night, and just unload on, or maybe just need, they need prayer, they need encouragement, and you're that person to them. If you're not that to somebody, then you need to be. If you don't have that in somebody, you need to find that somebody. So just as the Lord was a friend of Abraham's, he is a friend of ours as well. And here the Lord poses this question. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? What's the Lord about to do? The Lord's about to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't he? Why, why does he involve Abraham? Why is Abraham brought into this story, into this equation? I think it's because of this. He wants Abraham to know what his standard of living is for his children and his children's children's. So notice here, the Lord's expectation. What is it that the Lord expects from us? Think about that for a second. What is it that the Lord expects and demands from us? Righteousness. Righteous living, isn't it? What does this word righteousness mean? It means to be found in right standing with God. The Lord expects from us righteousness, to be in right standing with him, to be saved, to believe in faith that God is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he would do. Sodom and Gomorrah will experience God's judgment because of their wickedness, because of their sinfulness, because of their utter depravity. And so Abraham is brought into this reality because God is about to tell Abraham what he expects from him, and he is also going to show Abraham the consequences for our sins. 
So the Lord tells Abraham and us how to avoid judgment. In verse 19 again we read, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So the Lord promised Abraham that he would be the father of a nation. And as a good father, he had a responsibility to teach his children the ways of the Lord. The same responsibility has been placed upon each of us in this room. Our number one goal as a parent should not be to develop great scholars or to develop great musicians or to develop great athletes. Our number one responsibility as a parent is to create disciples, to invest the Word of God into our children and to teach them the ways of God. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Um, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, some of you are older, okay, and may think that um, one of two things here. You may look back on your parenting and want to kick yourself for not doing a better job. All of us could have done a better job, right? You know, as I think about Connor, who's 21, and Caitlin, who is 18, both of them are uh, off at college right now. You know, I look back on my parenting, and I think, man, I could have done some, dumb, some things better. I mean, I could have raised them differently. I could have invested in them differently. I could have taught them differently. I could have um, disciplined them different, invested in them differently. I think we all have those moments where we look back on our, on, on, on our parenting and realize that we could have done some things differently. You may also think, my time of raising children is over. I want you to know that your job as a grandparent is the same as it was as a parent to train and equip your grandkids to follow after the Lord. You may say, well, where does God's Word say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Grandparents, like parents, have a responsibility to teach righteousness and faithfulness to their children. It certainly looks different as a grandparent, but the command is the same. As you're given opportunities to invest in your grandkids, let me encourage you to take advantage of those. If we don't teach our children to follow the Lord, we know that the world will teach them not to follow the Lord, right? We are seeing that reality play out every single day within our public schools, within our universities, in the news, on social media, on television and movies. And our government um, sure doesn't promote the ways of the Lord, do they? Satan is active in this world. He is using every possible platform he can to do exactly what Jesus said he would do in John 10, to steal, to kill, and destroy. He is out to deceive 
our children, and to get them to follow the ways of the world. That is why it is so crucial for us to teach them and train them and equip them to follow after the Lord. This happens in the home, and it also happens in the church house, doesn't it? I want you to know that as your pastor and as um, you being a part of this church, our number one goal is to come alongside you as a parent and as a grandparent to help you train and equip your children to follow after the Lord. We're in this together, aren't we? Man, there are no Lone Rangers in this room. You don't have to raise your children by yourself. That's where the church comes in. We're here to help you and encourage you as you do that. Notice next, God's assessment of Sodom and Gomorrah. So in verses 20 through 23, we read, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very great, I will go down to see whether they have done whether they have done." Altogether, according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? The offense against Sodom and Gomorrah was pretty great, wasn't it? We know that it was a city where homosexuality was present, sexual morality was present. In Ezekiel chapter 16, we read um, these words, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. These cities were full of pride and gluttony and arrogance, worldliness, and there was a lack of presence within those cities. In Jude chapter 7, we read, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah were places of great depravity. In fact, the cities were so bad that the Lord wanted to visit them first before he brought destruction upon them. Now, do not think that the Lord did not already know exactly what was going on within those cities, because he did. He knows all things. He sees all things. He hears all things. He sees every injustice in this world, and he is aware of all evil that is in this world. What we see here is a teaching moment for Abraham and us. It is a reminder that there is nothing that escapes from God. The Lord told Abraham that the city cried out and their sin was very great. How did the city cry out to the Lord? You know, we don't know that for sure. It could have been that the Lord heard the cries of the oppressed. It could have been that the cries of the widows and orphans within those cities had reached his ears. It could have been the cries of those who were being abused reached the Lord. We may not know who cried out, but we know that the Lord heard every single one of those cries. In his commentary on Genesis, James Boyce wrote, um, wrote these words. He said, listen, can't you hear the cries in our imagination. I think I hear the cry of a child, wretched, hurt, and terrified. There's another cry. It is cry of an old man assaulted by a gang of tough street youths. I hear his painful cry as they beat him around the face and shoulders. And there, the cry of a wife abandoned by her husband. I hear the cry of sinful pleasures, the raucous cries in the thousands of bars that scar the faces of our cities, the cries of prostitutes and those who patronize them, the soft cries of drug addicts, the arrogant cries of those who have been 
able to defeat their enemies or ruin their competitors. But wait, those cries are only a fraction of those millions of cries that are rising every moment of every day from every street and every city and village of our land. Cries that are all heard by God and felt by God. Just as the cries of Sodom and Gomorrah were heard by the Lord, the cries that are being cried out every single day within our land and across our world today is heard equally by the Lord. You know, God's assessment of these cities was not good. And we know the Lord was about to bring judgment upon those cities. But before judgment came, let's look at Abraham's petition, his request before the Lord. In Genesis 18, 20 through 3 through 33, we read these words. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from me, from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just, And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So what we see here is is Abraham interceding on behalf of those within the city of Sodom. Abraham, we see, drew near to God. What a powerful moment and scene this is. This is the first intercessory prayer that is recording recorded in all of Scripture. To intercede is to plead the case of another person. When you and I come to the defense of another, that is a picture of intercession. What Abraham did is he interceded before the king of the universe and the highest of high courts on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Pretty amazing when you think about what Abraham did. The boldness of his request is is, is so prevalent within these verses that we just read. I, I believe that with utter humility, Abraham approached God. But he asked the Lord this question, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? You know, the answer to that question is a resounding no, isn't it? God does not bring judgment upon the righteous. God rewards the righteous and gifts us righteous with the gift of eternal life. But what we see here is we see um, Abraham's persistence. 
I think when we pray, we need to pray persistently before the Lord. When we pray in agreement with God's word and God's will, even if God doesn't answer us on the first time that we ask, we need to pray over and over persistently believing that God is going to bring to pass what it is that we pray in accordance with God's will. Abraham, six different times in this passage of Scripture, asked the what-if question. Abraham wanted to know if God would destroy the righteous in this city because of the wicked. He asked again the Lord six different times. Did you catch all of those six different times? He asked the Lord, if there are 50, will you destroy the city? And then he says, if there are five less than 50, 45, will you destroy this city? Will you destroy the city for 40? He asked the Lord. For 30 or 20, or if there are 10 righteous people in the city, will you destroy it? With every question, the Lord was quick to answer. I will not destroy it. The sad reality of this passage of Scripture is that there were not 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or even 10 righteous people within that city. God couldn't find 10 people in that city that were righteous. And because of that, destruction would come. Billy Graham was, was quoted um, saying this one time. He said, some years ago, my wife Ruth was reading the draft of a book that I was writing. When she finished a section, section describing the terrible downward spiral of our nation's moral standards and the idolatry of worshiping false gods, she as te- false gods such as technology and sex, she startled me by exclaiming, if God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you think of that statement? Many of you probably have heard that statement before. Do we deserve punishment as a nation because of our sin? Absolutely we do, right? But the question is this, do we deserve the same fate as Sodom and Gomorrah received because of our sin? The answer to that question, I believe, is no. You know why? Because within our country today, there are more than 10 righteous people that make it up, right? Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because there were no righteous people in those cities, just wretched sinners. Here there are many more than 10. There are more than 10 that are in this room, I hope and pray, right? There's more than 10 righteous right here. There are hundreds of thousands of sold-out, Jesus-loving, God-fearing believers in this country. What we need to start seeing is hundreds of thousands of us begin to petition the throne room of God on behalf of the sinful within this land. We need to be praying more for our leaders instead of cursing them. We need to pray for their salvation instead of their demise. We need to pray for the Lord to raise up godly men and women to represent his people. We need godly school board representatives. Representatives. Man, we need godly local government representatives. We need godly state representatives. We need godly national representatives, don't we? Some of you in this place, man, you're passionate about, about politics. Man, I'm going to tell you that, man, pray for godly leaders to represent us. I think that is so vitally important. We also need to, as a church, to be praying for revival, don't we? We need to pray for individual revival. Every single one of us need to experience individual revival. We need to pray for revival in the church. We need to pray for 
revival in the local church as well as the global church, don't we? It's time we recognize that the Lord set us apart to be light and salt in this world. We need to demonstrate the same boldness and persistence and humility as Abraham as we pray on behalf of others. Now, we know that Abraham pleaded on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah because he had a vested interest within those cities. His nephew Lot and Lot's family lived close to Sodom. God said that if he could just find 10 people out of probably thousands of people, he would not destroy the city. That tells us two things. It reminds us of just how wretched and depraved the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were. It also tells us how important the mission we have as a church is. Why do we go and why do we advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do we help those described by Jesus as the least of these? Why? Because we have been commanded to go. What would have happened to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had Lot and his family lived righteously and shared how others can live righteous? Would those cities have been saved? We don't know how people would have responded. But we know how we have been commanded to respond, right? Notice what we read in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Paul wrote, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus left us with these words before he ascended to take his rightful seat next to the Father in Matthew and Acts. In Matthew 28, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Folks, Jesus is the only hope for the world, isn't he? Righteousness is the only standard of living that God approves of. Proves of. We are the hope of the world, aren't we? Jesus established the church the local church, and the greater church to advance the gospel to every corner of this world. Without the church being obedient to the Great Commission, the world stands no chance. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed for the lost? When was the last time you specifically named a lost person in your prayer and asked God to save that person? When was the last time you shared with the lost person the good news of salvation? If you can't answer these questions, then it's time that we begin to pray diligently for lost and begin to be obedient to the Great Commission and share with other people. Dr. James Boyce again points out, he points out four lessons of prayer for us. He calls us to pray 
modestly, to pray humbly, to pray persistently, and to pray persuasively. We need to pray believing that God will answer our prayers, and he will answer them when we pray in accordance with his will. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah are a picture of this world. And we know that we live in a world that is depraved, a world that is in desperate need of Jesus. Abraham is a picture of the mission of the church in the world. Just as Abraham followed the Lord, you and I need to follow the Lord. Just as Abraham advanced the good news, you and I need to advance the good news wherever it is that the Lord calls us to go. You and I can be world changers. We can help to change our homes, our schools, our cities, our local government, our state government, and our national government as well. We can do this when we're obedient to the Great Commission, when we're obedient to the Lord, when we take His Word and get serious about it and do what it says. You know, Abraham was considered a man of faith and declared by God as being righteous when he believed God. Are you righteous this morning? Have you believed God? Have you believed in him unto salvation because you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in him? If you haven't, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I want to invite you this morning to repent of your sins Recognize that your sins separate you from God. And I also want to invite you this morning to declare Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. And the Bible says if you do that, you shall be saved. So if you're here this morning, you need have questions about how to be saved or want to know more about how to have a relationship with the Lord, I'm going to be standing here at the front. I'm going to pray together. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's stand together. And then you come if there's a decision you need to make. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, again, thanking you for the privilege it is to be in your house today. Father, I pray for every man and woman and student and child that's in this room today. If there is someone here that is yet to place their faith and trust in you, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, I also pray today, Lord, that if there is someone here, Father, that, that, that recognizes that they're not walking with the Lord and faithfully pursuing after you, I pray that today will be the day that they, Father, take their relationship with you, Father, to a whole new level. Father, where they not only read your word, but they also do what your word says. Help all of us to do that. Help all all of us to faithfully live um, out your word on a daily basis. Father, if there's someone here that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.